Activist theology is built on the power of story, and we believe story can change the world. We also know that being in community with one another on this journey will help to build a movement committed to collective liberation and a more loving world. We have a commitment to the ethics and politics of Encajunto, or togetherness, and we are together in this work with you. Hi, folks. This is Dr. Robin. Hi, y'all. This is Reverend Anna Galladay, and we are your hosts for the Activist Theology Podcast. It's time for us to get our hands dirty. We're ready. Are you? Pastor. Dr. Robin, how are you? Oh my gosh. Listen, um, my house is like um, a construction zone. That's no fun. That's no fun. Well, I'm not doing... I'm not doing any of the work. Though. Oh, well, don't, I mean, so like, look, we know that. <laughs> we know you're not doing the work, but still, it's not fun to, you know, like deal with dust and, you know, construction. And Well, the know. good news is everything is outside on the porch. Okay. So, so the dust is minimized, but okay. we're getting some very cool things built by the amazing Mama Law. And nice. um, we've got these... Um, Next time you're over, you'll have to check out the things that are hanging over the windows are plant hangers, and um, it's to get the plants away from Frida. Yes. Because we have toxic plants. Very important that the kitty doesn't eat the plants. Yeah. You don't have those because you're married to a vet, right? Correct. <laughs> Correct. I'm, a, My, theologian. I'm right. a theologian, and I'm like, let's have plants. Right. That's true. I mean, I am a, I am, I am to the point where, and I don't believe in this like, you know, crazy nonsense of like, a, you know, a, a, a woman needs to get flowers or be, you know, courted or surprised by her partner with, you know, things that are, um, you know, that are beautiful and that grow. But let me tell yeah. you something. Um, the last time I got flowers um, was the last time I worked in an office off-site from my home. Uh, because I am not allowed to bring anything right. that grows or lives inside the home because um, my cats are uh, very adventurous and will eat yeah. all the things regardless of yeah. how um, how much hidden they are. And, and yeah. you know, roses or flowers just aren't enjoyable when they're in a closet or, um, you know, right. in a room hidden away from the life of every day. So... Right. I get it. I get it. Well, I'm excited. I mean, I mean, thankfully, Frida doesn't, I almost said Ruthie, because I, I guess I'm thinking about Ruthie and how she had the birthday party and everything. Right. But thankfully, Frida, um, when, when she, who is my cat, yeah. uh, my live-in lover cat, who, when she jumps on the, the table and we say, Frida, get down, like, she'll get down and and she doesn't gnaw on a lot of things. But anyways, we, we got these plant hangers now. And Mama Law is building me a record player table nice. for my record player. And Aaron is staining it. And so, yeah, lots of things happening. Um, it's, it's It just has a finished look to it. Yes. Good. You know? I'm so glad. Not- I'm glad for you. I'm glad for you. I'm glad that there's um, construction being done in your home. I'm glad that you are not the one handling power tools um, <laughs> because that would scare me. Um, I love you, but I, you know, there are just visuals I don't need in my life. And one of those is you cutting your fingers off. 
So right. there you have it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very happy to say that I laid down for a siesta at 1.30 and I just covered up my, my head and just kind of was thinking about this podcast and um, they were outside working and I, I felt just at peace that I had some alone time. Good. Good. And now how, you're... How are you? What's going on with you? I'm good. Uh, so we uh, have uh, moved. We yeah. are um, across town and I am, you know, in the midst of trying to unpack the life that I so efficiently packed up um, yeah. over the last several weeks. And it's exciting. It's it's exciting to be in a new space. Uh, at the same time, I will be really glad. I'm sure much like your construction zone, I will be very glad when this phase is over. And there's no longer a box in my peripheral vision. Yeah. And I feel as if I have settled. But otherwise, I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm doing good. Um, I can't wait to visit. I can't wait for you to come and see your bedroom. I can't wait to bring some bourbon and share with you. Well, I can I can never wait for that. I mean, you, me, bourbon. It's like an equation. One plus one equals bourbon. Yes. <laughs> I like how you do math. Right? Oh, I know. Oh, let me just say this, that I've been hearing that people are listening to the podcast and that people are really liking it. And so I'm like, really? We said something that that resonates? Huh. Okay. I love That's, it. I know. I'm, I am continuing. I, it's no secret to any of our listeners. I'm always surprised when I hear people say, Hey, I listened to your episode. And I'm like, you, you what? That's amazing. <laughs> remember, remember last December when we were on our writing retreat and I said, I think we should start a podcast. I do. And I looked at you like you had 18 heads. <laughs> And we are now on like episode, I don't know, 37 yeah. something and like people are listening and it's, it's fun. It's really, it's a beautiful thing. Almost 13,000 downloads. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, we talk about our love for bourbon. Yes. Um, I think it'll be no secret to our listeners that the other thing that you and I have in common is our love for music. Mm -hmm. uh, we are people who really appreciate the art of songwriting, the art of uh, playing, the art of performance. Like it, it is, music for me is something that fills my cup. Like I, if I, if I were to envision my soul and my spirit as a vessel, there are days in which that vessel is depleted. It is yeah. empty or it is half full. And music for me is that thing that like just pours into my vessel and makes me feel like a fullness of experience and a yeah. fullness of, 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 of day to day. It contributes to my social healing. It contributes to the yeah. social healing of the world. Yeah. Um, it causes us to go on cruises in the middle of the ocean and listen to live music where we have more stories to tell than anyone wants to listen to. Um, and it's because of our love for music and our love for our guest today that today's episode is all about 
the art of creating. Yeah, and people might not know, but I initially went to college on a music scholarship music to heal the world and create social change and impact and the work we're trying to do. But gave up my music scholarship because I fell in love with ideas and and then took a turn into philosophy and theology. So music has music is like a first love of mine. I've pulled out the ukulele, I've tuned the ukulele, I'm thinking about buying another guitar. Anna and I are going to start a band soon. <laughs> but but um, music is very important to me. And it's we something are not we have music band. going all the time in the you, house. You have all the fun and, you want with your ukulele, um, but we are not going to start a band. singer-songwriter music. <laughs> it's my favorite form because I think there's something about the story Same. that is embedded in the singer-songwriter um, tunes. And so I'm super stoked about today. I know that our listeners are going to, they are in for a treat today. Yes, they have no idea how amazing this is about to be. So we are inviting our friend, and we don't say that lightly, our yeah. friend Ben Grace on you, the Activist Theology you, podcast the today. Hop, ben right? is That's a singer-songwriter who hails from yeah. Down Under. He is Australian, okay. um, yeah. lives in the States now, but okay. <laughs> that's one of the things you do in Australia. Yes, it's very stereotypical, but yes, you could do that if, in some parts of the country. Um, but Ben is uh, just an amazing musician and really has kind of set his life up to share his own story in a way that resonates with those of us that are on this journey of activism and deconstruction and social healing and the work of faith, Christian faith in the world in a way that is healing and not detrimental. And so Ben has a brand new album out and we are welcoming Ben on today's Activist Theology podcast. Ben Grace, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, you guys are cracking me up so hard over here <laughs> on, on the intro. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. This is what we do. That's what we. That's what we do best. You know, like in our on our side hustle, we're comedians. But no one ever would ever think <laughs> people think that I'm too fucking serious to be a comedian. But really, I've got lots of jokes under my sleeve. We are comedians that don't get paid to be comedians, which is why we're really actually not comedians. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So Ben, I think our I think we should just start with kind of uh, the storytelling piece and your um, the story of how you were born and raised into both um, your your role as a musician and a storyteller in the world, but also your faith journey um, throughout your life is really really interesting. And so I would love if we just kind of start with you letting our listeners know a little bit about yourself and how you come at this and, and why this work is the work that you've chosen to be your life work in the world. 
Yes. So it's true. I was raised in Sydney, Australia. Uh, we didn't have kangaroos hopping down the street, unfortunately, Robin. Um, okay. Because that was my I, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've all seen footage of, of kangaroos boxing in suburban uh, you right. know, cul-de-sacs, but that wasn't my everyday experience. Okay. Uh, okay. But nevertheless, uh, it, I did take my partner to Karen to Australia last year and she thought the whole kangaroos was a hoax because we were traveling around mostly, you know, city, you know, Sydney, yeah. Melbourne, Brisbane. And she's like, I haven't seen a kangaroo. And we took her out of the city uh, for a drive. And I'm like, look around you. They're everywhere. And she's like, no, they're not. No, they're not. I'm just like, you got to look closer. Anyway. So then she was just like, oh, they are everywhere. I'm like, yes, absolutely. Once you see one, you, you see them all. Yeah. Anyway, that's a side note. Uh, but I was raised into this is tiny, um, non-mainstream Christian sect called the Christadelphians. Um, they're very proudly, you know, not Christian, they would say, because they think that other Christians are, are kind of uh, apostate and don't have the truth. Um, and there's only about 60,000 of them worldwide. Uh, so it was a very isolating experience growing up, uh, especially in Australia, which is a very post-church, post-religious uh, country, uh, that it was a very weird experience going through um, school in a place where other people around me weren't necessarily uh, people of faith. Uh, probably the dominant uh, religion around me in the inner western su suburb of Sydney where I grew up was actually uh, Muslim. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, it was a very isolating experience. And I think uh, that kind of really has shaped me because this idea that you can actually be who you are in the world uh, wasn't really encouraged at all in that particular um, sect. Um, and so, and yet at the same time, to, to stand out, to be, you know, in the world, but not of it, as the, as the saying kind of went, yeah. uh, was very much encouraged for you to stand by your faith and by your principles. Uh, so I think a lot of that has shaped who I am today as a Enneagram 4 with a strong three wing. That, that in some ways I don't mind standing out because that's just, you know, I couldn't help but stand out a little bit um, as a kid because of this, this faith uh, that I was born into. But it was, uh, it was very, uh, there were a lot of divergent beliefs, but there was a lot of big similarities uh, with big box evangelical church over here in America. Uh, it's extremely oppressive of women. Uh, women weren't allowed to have any voice whatsoever they weren't allowed to say anything out loud they had to wear uh, hats and skirts um and and kind of they were only ever allowed to do subservient roles they weren't allowed to serve as elders they weren't allowed to preach of course uh so that was that was a big part of my upbringing was realizing that i was missing a, a huge part of the story uh, mm. because you know i think Women raised me essentially. They were all Sunday school teachers, but at some point they weren't allowed to speak in public gatherings. So there was there was this cutoff point that was like, okay, what is this? You know, uh, for, because for the first ten years of my life, women primarily told me these stories and taught me these things. Yeah. But then at some point, they weren't allowed to go further. Um, so it was definitely a huge part of me, uh, kind of waking up. I think in my you know about eleven or twelve, and being like, what what's up with this? Like why? Why do we not get to hear from these people that I respect immensely? Um, so that was definitely a huge part of my first level of deconstruction was, was realizing that what we spoke about, that everyone has value, because I think on some level, every religion preaches that, right? <laughs> but there's in the ga gaslighting of just like, how does it actually line up with, you know, if we're all valued and we're all, 
loved, then why aren't we all allowed to do the same things? Why aren't we all allowed the same privileges? It's that, right. you know, right. all pigs are equal, but not, you know, some are more equal than others, you know, kind of idea, which is a weird thing that we disconnect. Well, I was super excited when you posted your um, new album on Facebook and I happened to see it and I was like, we should have them on our podcast. <laughs> we should talk about this music, you know, because we, I mean, we've all come, I mean, all of us have come from different narratives and different stories. But the thing that we have in common is that story has shaped us so deeply. Mm -hmm. And and I wonder if you could just share a little bit with us about like why why music, why why these stories, why these songs? Um I'm I'm just very curious. Yeah, I you know the way my parents would tell the story about me being a musician is that uh, in the womb, they would turn the radio on and I would start to move. They would turn the radio off and I would stop. So yeah. I was literally dancing in the womb. And yet uh, music was not encouraged at all uh, in my family or in the Christadelphian movement. So we only sang hymns to the organ. That was the sacred instrument. There was nothing else really kind of allowed. We would occasionally have you would play the piano. Uh, That's but, so painful. That just sounds uh, so painful to me. Uh, <laughs> It was, it was, it was crazy. And when I was actually like finally baptized, they were immediately like, well, you want to go on the organ roster, right? And I said, that's a different instrument. I play the piano. It's a percussion instrument. I don't play organ. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I knew there was a difference right there and I knew, you know, I'm still a horrible organ player to this day, uh, which, you know, we just sags. I love the B3 organ. I love, you know, <laughs> I love gospel organ, but I can't play it to save my life. Uh, but I think music for me was just inherently there as part of me, you know, um, it was just something that spoke to me, you know, I was, a, I'm a nineties kid. So I grew up in the grunge era and uh, there's one really big alternative radio station in Australia called triple J and I would stay up really late at night with, you know, with a cassette tape. So, it, you know, when it, the cassette would finish recording, you'd flip it over and turn it over and I would, I would tape, you know, huge long. Pearl Jam concerts and Smashing Pumpkins. And, yes. and so that was, you know, and so for me, this kind of the wail of the 90s with all of its angst was kind of set against this very sit in your pew, in your row, you know, sing the hymns to the, the black notes, you know, like don't color outside the lines, don't, you know, don't run away from the formula. Whereas for me, looking at that, I was like, well, music isn't a formula, you know, like there's, there's formulas behind it. There's this theory to it, but the best music comes from this guttural cry. The best music comes from this, this place where you can be like, how did that person dream that up? Where'd that come from? It's a, it's a moment of inspiration. It's, it's, it's the wind that blows through and you don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. Uh, that's the thing I think that captures our imagination. So I think music has always been a little bit like my search for divine for divinity for spirituality where um the deeper i kind of get with it the the less i kind of understand it but the more i'm happy to be kind of washed away by the river a little bit and just taken up mm -hmm. in the in the current because there's something so beautiful about just surrendering and kind of letting yourself just be in the moment with it so that's why music for me <laughs> i love it 
I love it too. I think, you know, I think it, it harkens back to our, our conversation around story mm. in that, you know, there, we are informed whether we will admit it or not. We are informed by the stories that have shaped our lives, the stories that other people have told about us, the stories that we tell ourselves about us, the mm. stories that we tell others uh, about us. And, and all of those things kind of create this, um, this intersection of truth and value uh, that, that we, that we place on what we bring to the, to the table and what we bring to the work. And, um, those stories all might be different. I mean, the story that I tell others about me is likely different than the story they tell others about me. Um, mm. And yet, and yet, that's that's where music kind of provides this really beautiful intersection because the the way that you write, the way that anyone writes, um, becomes only informed by the experience that the listener has and every mm. listener's experience is different from the listener sitting beside them or listening to the exact same song from a, from across the way. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for this album. I have listened to it on repeat and, and I really, really love um, kind of the way that you're telling a story through it. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about this first um, this first song that we're going to talk about um, called Preacher's Daughter? From hand to hand And worked its way on down the aisle Your mother dear One step ahead Intervened and tore those tender words to shreds And I wondered what the preacher's daughter said Yeah, so this is very much kind of an answer to... Uh, my upbringing when it came around to the way women were treated, which was, I think, twofold. One in which I've already kind of mentioned they weren't allowed to say anything, even on the, the Wednesday night Bible class, which was supposed to be more casual and relaxed. Uh, women weren't allowed to say a word out loud. If they had a question, they had to write it down and pass it to their husband. If their husband wasn't present, they would have to, have to ha pass it to the closest male. Um, yeah, right. It was really intense. Um, I think I remember the first time I heard a woman say something out loud in a in a business meeting when there was a very heated issue, and I was like, "Yeah, girl." <laughs> it's like she was unable to shut her mouth any longer; it just came exploding out. Um, so that's one part of that's it. Is like that every day for me. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Uh, so you know, true. I'm passing my questions to the closest man in my life. 
<laughs> Said neither of us never. <laughs> and this is why we're friends. Um. But also, like, Ben, how did you come, like, how, I mean, well, we can get to the deconstruction in a little bit, but I guess mm. I, being, being raised around that, how did you learn a different way? I, you know, that's one of those questions I think I've, I've thought a lot about over the years, and I'm not sure I have a tidy answer. Although recently I read this incredible book uh, called Belonging, and I'm totally blanking right now on the author, but it's a Canadian Sikh uh, woman. Um, I probably could just look it up on the internet in front of, right in front of me, but I'll, I'll figure that out. Uh, but a lot of it is in dream work about how our dreams kind of shape who we are and getting in touch with that life and, and this deep sort of unconscious. Um, and that book really spoke to me on a bunch of levels. I think that it really talked about that deep intuition that you have inside yourself. Yeah. Um, that I think religion sometimes represses quite honestly, uh, with it's like, you need to adhere to these rules and these theological beliefs. And a lot of that really overrides your personal gut instinct. Right. Uh, but my, my instinct I think was, has always been sort of screaming at me, uh, mm. And I think the other side of that was that book really kind of talked a lot about the sort of the, uh, the ideas of the Eros and the Logos, um, instead of the sort of the Greek understanding of the Logos being this masculine energy and this Eros being the feminine. And that chapter broke me a little bit because it made me realize, oh, the way my internal world feels and organizes feels like this Eros, like it feels like this, this more feminine space, uh, that, you know, I don't want to want to be one of those people that's like, oh, because men like these and women like these things. But in this book, when it really sort of broke down the way we kind of have organized these ideas, uh, that all my interests were more feminine. You know, they were always in in thought and feeling and in sort of going with the the going with the flow and the, you know, not not so organized and structured and, and and locked down. And that really was the first time I was like, oh, okay, maybe a lot of these kind of things that we've put together as masculine and feminine in culture don't really fit many of us, you know, that there's a spectrum and, and many of us float somewhere in the middle of all these things. Um, so I think that's been one of those things and just watching, I think for me also watching people get hurt by, by these things, watching the way patriarchy wielded, um, swords to really hurt, um, the marginalized. And, and most of the time that was the easy people. That was the, the woman whose marriage fell apart and somehow we had to demonize her instead of talking about the marriage and, and talking about how, you know, both partners or, you know, and oftentimes the men who cheated, um, were the ones who, who we needed to talk to, but the women were often just kind of pushed aside and let go. So I think, you know, there's, there's something about that that has always kind of rattled me. Uh, but at the same time, the first time I actually heard like a woman give a full on sermon, you know, was when I was maybe 18 years of age and I just wept. Like it just spoke to me. Like I literally felt like I had been missing half of the story, you know? Uh, so even now as I kind of have grown up and continue to move forward in my life, um, looking at different theologians from all colors, shapes, sizes, worldview, sexual orientations is so important because they read the text differently. They, they read life differently and it kind of opens your eyes to a different way. So uh, I think that was, that was that first instinct in me that was just like, oh, there's so much more to this story. And when we tell it in a really narrow and small way, uh, we miss the richness and the nuance 
Um, so I think that's kind of the, the heartbeat of Preacher's Daughter is this idea to find out what, what do the Preacher's Daughter say? Like, what is, what is the unsaid thing? What's the silenced, the oppressed thing when you push that down? Like, what's below that? Like, and, and how do we get people to kind of share that with each other? How do we kind of get to hear these voices that have been pushed aside for a long time? And I think the other, the other side of that song is sexuality and that we have blamed, you know, Eve all the way through. We have sort of uh, used her from the text as the reason why we're all fallen and we have blamed this one woman and, and her mistake um, for all of our Such bad theology. Oh, it's just the worst. Yeah. Like it's, so, so for me, you know, just reading that story this one particular way, blaming women for everything, and then continuing to control their bodies and their sexuality uh, has been a way that patriarchy has, has also silenced. Um, mm -hmm. So that's the, the song really has at its heartbeat two longings, you know, uh, both from, from sort of the male gaze, because that's the way this, the song is kind of written, is this, this missed experience that this person had in the first kind of part of it when you were very young, when, when things are very innocent, like a little note passing in church, you know, that's not that I picture as being very, very young and innocent and playful. And, and then later on in the second verse, when you're 16, so when that sexual sexuality is really there and is really awakened and heightened, um, that experience being repressed. And then the third part of that, years later, when you've kind of looked back and thought, I didn't really understand. I didn't get to connect with that person. I didn't get to hear what they had to say, uh, both on a, on a level of not hearing their voice, but also just not having that experience sexually and not connecting and not having that intimacy and, and understanding uh, how this person can share their whole self with you. Um, so that's, that's a big part of, um, that's the song. That's kind of the weather where for me, um, where I feel like we need to do a lot more work around sexuality as well. Um, and talk about how we all, uh, have, we'll have very, very different ways that we move in the world and that sexuality is not necessarily just about, uh, you know, us, us bumping uglies, as we say, but about really connecting intimately and understanding each other and, and, and being vulnerable with each other and sharing these deep, deep parts of ourselves. Um, did you write that for anyone in particular, or did this just come out of your own process? No, I didn't write it for anyone in particular. I did co-write this song with uh, Carla Godwin, um, who at the time was running an organization called She Is Called around women in leadership. Uh, we were close friends and we were sharing a lot of our same hurts and stories about growing up. Uh, and, you know, she grew up as a, as a pastor's kid in an evangelical church. Uh, and I was just hearing so many of those stories around me at that point in time that, that somehow it resonated with my own experience, I think, as well, that, that, that we're all a little bit, you know, all a little bit beat up by patriarchy, that we're all hurt yeah. by repression of sexuality. So there are a couple of songs on the album that really talk or, or speak to, you know, what I would call kind of an, our, our current day situation, our current day, um, uh, you know, understanding of evil and um, racism and kind of this darkness that, that, that we're experiencing both here in the United States and and across the the world, as it relates to protest and you know racism and supremacy culture, mm. um, and 
one of the songs that that you that you offer on this album is a song called Mama. Mm. And I I've listened to it several times and uh, hear it both as a prayer and equally as a lament, mm. um, uh, you know, a, a crying out for for what what we see as injustice, but also a prayer for the possibility of hope and the possibility of of you know what what can come out of us reckoning with uh the experiences that that we're watching uh happen in the world um why don't you tell us a little bit about mama yeah so i first wrote this song in uh 2014. Uh, this was the end of it was 24th of november i think it was the date it was the day that the decision came back by uh, the st louis county to not indict the cop who killed Mike Brown. Yeah. Um, and I barely got out of bed that day. I just was, I was so flabbergasted that we couldn't do anything. I'm like, you know, and this has gone on now for, for a while where we see the videos, right? right? We see the evidence in front of us. There is not a lot to dispute. And yet we cannot hold uh, people in authority accountable uh, for actions. Um, so that really, you know, that would, really destroyed me. And I was living in New York at the time in Brooklyn Heights. Um, and in the middle of writing this uh, record with an artist, Lindsay Luff. And um, so I, in, that day I kind of woke up, I heard the news. I just bummed around all day. I didn't really know what to do. Literally didn't get out of bed. And then at some point I picked up my guitar and started writing and that chorus fell out. My heart in so darkness Deep and ancient chill within my bones Ever since the envy that spilled the brother's blood We're all dying to throw stones But from the same Springs a riot for all of the kids not coming home, and I see the struggle that binds us all tonight, and marches the streets to old toes. Mama, I'm having. Initially, the song actually kind of felt a lot more like protests. It was a lot more up-tempo. Uh, there was anger all through me. Uh, that was how my sort of brief was first incarnating, was just in this deep anger. Um, and so then I, I reached out to her and asked her what was happening, whether she had time after work to kind of finish the song. And we got together and as we were kind of writing the song, I got the news that there were people marching from Times Square in Manhattan into into Brooklyn and that actually closed the Brooklyn Bridge. There were so many people marching. Uh, 
So that that was a moment, I think, there was that glimmer of hope that kind of arrived in the lyric. It was like, okay, something is happening here. Whilst we may not have made this decision on a legal perspective, public opinion on this is changing and shifting. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was 2014. You know, that was six years ago. And it wasn't until um, George Floyd of this year that uh, we saw this huge shift because up until then, according to polls, around about 30% of people supported Black Lives Matter. Uh, and that number has now shifted into the 60s and 70s, which, you know, really warms my heart uh, because yeah. I'm just like, this has been a long uh, six years of just watching just video after video. And, and you know, I, I'm one of those people who I will watch every single one of them. And it's not because, you know, I need to, but because I, I think I, there's something about being reminded uh, of, of these moments and seeing that injustice all over again. And it is sickening and it's nauseating. And I think that's what broke public opinion recently was watching George Floyd. You know, eight and a half minutes is just, you know, I think every single one of us who have a shred of humanity who watched that video was just like, that is appalling, you know, and, and all of us can think, what would it be like to have a neck on, 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 on our knee for that long? And that's just not a, that's not a thing that should happen in the world. So, yeah, it came out of... Uh, the, the Mike Brown incident, but there's two other stories in the song that are kind of uh, talked about. One of them is Eric Garner, because that was close to home in New York. For those who don't know, he was uh, choked to death uh, by a cop on Staten Island for selling single cigarettes. Um, and then Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old boy, um, shot, to, shot to dead in two seconds by a cop because he was holding a toy gun in a playground uh, by himself. And, and every single time this happens, I think this, this rattles me. Um, and we're still kind of, you know, right now still kind of looking for the cop who killed Bronner Taylor to be held accountable. And, and, uh, that's, it's, it's astonishing to me <laughs> that, that we live in, the, in this place and live in this country where, uh, where this is just commonplace, you know, this is just kind of what happens. And I, I really hope that there is, that there will come a day where that's not the case, where we will actually hold people accountable, where, where we will actually kind of talk about how to police this, this country. Cause there's clearly, there's a huge problem. I know you guys have talked about this on the, on the podcast before, uh, but there's a clearly a huge issue uh, that we need to tackle and need to have the guts to have the hard conversations about. There seems, I, I think the thing I love about the, the song is that there's a timelessness to it in that mm. it speaks to our humanity but it also feels like it, um, it is unfinished in a way in mm. that every verse could have, uh, could represent another uh, indigenous person, another black man or black woman, another, um, you know, woman or, or man or human of color that has been tormented and, either, you know, killed or, or just simply, you know, terrorized on the streets of this country. Um, and, and I think that, you know, whereas it's that it's that unfinished assumption that I, that I feel in my bones that, um, makes me keep coming back to listen to the song in that Mm. I, I envision it, um, you know, I envision it, needing to have an ending and yet mm. knowing that we are not a people 
yet here in the U.S. who have the capacity to stop murdering our siblings. And, yep. and what does that say about us? Yeah, I mean, there's, it evokes right in the first verse, it says, ever since the envy that killed, that spilled a brother's blood, and that's very much a reference to Cain and Abel. So this story has been around for too long, just as you said, we've been killing our siblings for a variety of reasons, for fear, for envy. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's sad that it is, keeps happening. And, and I did think about that a little bit when we we're recording it. Should I actually uh, include an updated verse? Um, of a story. And there was some part of me that was like, I, th I wanted to embed it very much in the 2014 because I record the song sure. in, in, in 2018, um, but it had passed. So the, the artist that I'd written it for, she decided to not put it on her record um, and she'd stopped playing it. And when I was sort of finding my voice, this felt very much like, no, this is, this is who I am. Like, I want to stand by my principles. I want to stand by these things. I think that art is more than just entertainment. I think it really has a way to shape the world. Um, and so I thought about that in 2018. I think if I re-record that again, you know, this year, uh, without a doubt, I would find a way um, to tell other stories. And, you know, maybe there's a way to just to contextualize that as I play that live um, to write, write a verse for the moment. Uh, as, as awful, as hard as that feels, when I say that out loud, <laughs> I'm just like, ouch, you know, we, we shouldn't have to do that. But I think you're right, Anna. I think we just, this country is obsessed with its violence. It's, it's drenched in sort of atonement, like someone must pay the eye for an eye over and over again. We just go back to this, this well of violence and bloodshed. Um, and I think we need to heal that. And I think good theology needs to heal that, good art needs to heal that, and good activism needs to heal that. Yeah. And don't mishear me. I, I am not, I don't want it to sound as if I'm being critical in, in this statement of, of an unfinished piece. I, I, I love this, this piece of work. I, mm. but the, the conjuring that it makes in my belly, um, mm. feel, you know, makes me feel as if it's unfinished because of, of the work that, that we mm. have to do, as you say, I don't, I don't want our listeners or you Ben to think that I'm like, <laughs> giving you a, a bunch of shit about, you know, uh, not including enough murder in a song, like right. shame on me and shame on us that this, <laughs> that that's even, that that's even a, a conversation that, um, that we need to be having. And yet here we are. Yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to jump in and say, Ben, I love how you raised our awareness to the fact that, we return to this legalistic eye for an eye practice mm. that actually undermines relationship mm -hmm. and that we're looking for a new imagination. And, and that's really what our conversation on policing was about several weeks ago. And I love that. I love that you're helping us think through that through art and through music because that type of political practice is actually killing us. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's an indictment on black and brown bodies in this country. And so I appreciate mm -hmm. you raising our awareness um, to that. Well, I think one of the things, thank you, Robin, I appreciate that. I, um, one of the things I thought a lot about was after the, the election in 2016, and I lived in New York, right? And, and one of my, colleagues and friends there, Ryan Phipps said to me one day, Gracie, don't be, uh, 
under the impression you live in America, you live in New York. And it rattled me a little bit. And so after the election, I got out and I toured a lot through the Midwest and the South because I wanted to visit Trump's country and I wanted to find the people who had voted there, not because I kind of wanted to, to shame them or, or to kind of throw things in their faces, because I wanted to have the conversation. I wanted to understand the worldview uh, of these folks. And I think that so much uh, of the partisanship in this country has come about because of fear, because we kind of have this uh, white culture where we are afraid of conflict, of talking about things. You know, we, you know, when I say conflict, it's about you know the the audible, you know, actually disagreeing, conversing, political discourse. We're so quick to use violence uh, to to repress that discourse and repress that conversation, repress that relationship. Um, and and so I'm I'm with you. I think that activism starts in the way we relate to the people right around us. Um, and then hopefully ripples out into communities and, uh, and definitely post 2014, um, we did have a handful of police officers in our church community at that point. And, and we had to really do some work, you know, because there's a lot of anger and a lot of people who, uh, we want to jump up and down and say, this is all terrible. It's all pull it down. But there were people in our community who were saying, well, you know, this is, our daily experience and this is kind of what we're dealing with and and we had to slow down enough to try and listen and to have that conversation uh with the police of new york city which are you know pretty famously um you know new york city's finest you know trump has been praising them too as well recently uh, and it took them a long time to um do anything about um the guy who killed eric garner took them a long time to do anything about it so um yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. And I think for me, uh, trying to get get to know the, the cops that were regularly walked our neighborhood and trying to understand them so they kind of felt seen and safe. And uh, that's, that's the work all of us, I think, need to do. We've got so much so work. We, don't we? It's crazy. So much. So we talked a little bit about, um, we've actually mentioned this phrase a few times, an eye for an eye. Um, mm. I think that the, the last song that we really want to dive into, and um, this is a song, friends, that we'll actually let you listen to in its entirety um, as soon as this podcast is over. Um, we've been teasing you with some of the other <laughs> bits and pieces of Ben's music, one, because we want you to hear it, but also because um, we value the talent and the labor of um, people like Ben and, um, you know, your the the way that you um, help Ben continue to do this work is to actually buy this album and to, you know, monetize your love for his art. And so, um, you know, we're not just going to give that shit away for free. Like you gotta, we're you gotta go you and, and spend your, <laughs> spend your hard earned dollars on this music. Cause it's worth it. Yes. And it, it, and you know, the, the stories that you will hear come out of this album and, and a lot of Ben's work are, are the kinds of stories that we want to hear. Um, but when we talk about an eye for an eye, you know, this is a, this is a phrase that is, um, that, that has become very problematic for me as mm. a, a woman who, um, you know, doesn't have as evangelical an upbringing as you did, 
been, but still, you know, has has listened to uh, colloquialisms of this kind of, um, you know, these kinds of verses be used as um, either the collateral or the excuse by which we punish and and hold one another accountable in ways that is not humane mm-hmm. and that is not and that is not safe and that is not um, what what I would deem human. Um, and so I, I'd love for you to I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about the song. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, you know why it was important that you um, you know I mean there's a lot of like biblical reference in mm. this in this song from both from a scriptural um standpoint and from a, a a symbolism standpoint but i'd love for you to tell us a little bit about um an eye for an eye And the video show Black bodies falling again All the flags fly at half-mast The horrors are broadcast From Baghdad to Baton Rouge And we struggle to weep Cause we ain't even shocked by the news Beat our swords in a plowshare Melt down all the guns Don't disarm the whole world But until that day comes I'll keep on dreaming Of a world without war Cause a tooth for a tooth And an eye for an eye Leaves the whole Oh, 
started I think in December of 2015 um, this is around when the Syri- Syrian refugee crisis was um, just all over the news um, and and when we saw the, the body of a young boy wash up on the shore and it was heartbreaking um, and then there was a shooting in San Bernardino um, and so the first part of that song was kind of born around then um, and there's that reference, you, you, I think, in there, you can early on about um, that kind of references Syria and references, references those particular events. But I didn't finish that. It was just a snippet that I had. And then uh, the summer of 2016, I was on sabbatical. Um, I was supposed to be at Wild Goose, <laughs> but that didn't work out. And, and so instead, I took some time out and I was in a, by a lake in Jersey. And one morning, I was having my coffee and... Um, the next door neighbor, who was an elderly Dutch gentleman, walked out and lowered the flag to half mast. And I was like, oh, shit, America, like what now? You know? Um, and so I went inside. I, I was completely off the internet at that point. I was trying to disconnect. I went back inside and logged on. And it was the week that Alton Sterling and Philander Castile both shot at the hands of police. And then the same week, uh, when in Dallas, when the, the protesters peacefully protesting and, and claiming Black Lives Matter, with the police marching with them and protecting them, that there was um, someone who then shot dead five of the police, five of those police officers. Um, yeah. And I just, I sat there staring at that news and I was, it, I just didn't know what to do. And I think the same thing as, as mama, my, my first instinct was just to turn to the pen. It was just to turn into my, turn internally in my own grief and, and, and channel it into my art. And uh, I wrote the rest of the song on, on that spot and then, uh, I went on to Facebook and just kind of said, hey, I'm going to go live in an hour. I've got something to share. And this was in the very early days of Facebook Live. Like, I think it was the very first time I ever went live on Facebook. Um, and so, I went live, you know, told a little bit of the story about the, the flag, showed it in the background, the flag at half-mast, and offered this song and got offline. And, and my ex-partner had helped me record it. And uh, she was like, um, yeah, like one person watched that. And it was a Friday afternoon and I logged off. Um, and then Monday morning, I got a text from a friend saying, uh, 
dude, that song is so gorgeous. And have you read the comments on Facebook? I'm like, no, I logged off and I logged back on and it was just like a waterfall of comments and a waterfall of shares, just people just grieving online together. Um, which, you know, which sort of reflected the lyric, which I didn't kind of didn't realize. Um, well, actually, I don't think on the final version I had this, but the original lyric read, all of my Facebook feed reads like all of our grandmothers died. And I don't think we put the Facebook um, reference in there uh, when we recorded it. But for me, it was, it was about watching um, the song evolve very quickly into watching this become a place for people to grieve publicly when I played the song live. It kind of hit the room in a certain particular way. Uh, and I think this has been one of these hard things is watching when tragedies occur, watching people very quickly run to their corners, right? We need to kind of just, we need to construct some sort of narrative. So one side, we need to construct the narrative that this person was definitely a criminal or at least deserved some of this. Um, and we need to find some justification uh, why this person died rather than actually seeing it for the tragedy it is and rather than just grieving it and allowing that lo loss to kind of wash over us. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. And I think the other part of an eye for an eye is, you know, that phrase is, I borrowed that phrase. I think it's been attributed to Gandhi, although I don't know if that's, you know, that actually as a, a statement that Gandhi made. But this very Old Testament idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, um, which we have critiqued, I think, you know, people of, of progressive people of faith have critiqued over the centuries and said, actually, no, like that's not the way. Like violence and punishment, as you were talking about, Anna, isn't really the way to fix the world. That just right. keeps the cycle going around. Like, you know, I mean, there was a provision in the Old Testament for cities of refuge where if you'd accidentally, you know, um, killed someone or hurt somebody, you could run to these cities of refuge. And yet that concept doesn't get talked about enough. I'm like, well, all of our cities need to be cities of refuge, you know, because we all wound each other and we all hurt each other, but we, we should not keep the cycle of rage and hate going. We, we've got to find a way to, to, to stop that. And I, I know that, um, one of the ways we've been talking about this publicly, I think for a while and try to wrestle with this is the idea of punishing our kids or, or, or beating our kids. And I think that's a way that this, this repressed anger of, of patriarchy has kept us going down the line where our own internal child who's hurt between and who's wounded what you think and how just you wants live? to lash out somebody else. Are you looking for them. a more robust way keep on, to be in solidarity repeating, repeating, with the repeating. movement? And I, I'm, I'm grateful. Are you looking to get your hands dirty with the work of social saying, justice? Mm, I don't think Join Dr. Robin and Reverend Anna Galladay each week the as they share, a way that we reflect, can, we can and analyze on pressing social concerns with them and have a conversation. Want to help support this podcast? About kind of their Go to actions, activisttheology.kindful.com. Uh, and, and, and yet we're teaching that as kids and yet still publicly. And remember, you know, and in society, activists and theology share a team. Uh, right. The music you yeah. hear in this episode is it's, Hands it's Dirty by our friends watch, Delta Ray. You know, our New sound York. editor like, and engineer wow. is like, Dan you know, Medley I from mean, 10 South why? Sound. <laughs> why did that ever escalate? I really don't understand. <laughs> I mean, the, the irony that, that uh, the man was turning up to a domestic dispute to try and, you know, to try and de-escalate it, that he would end up you know, getting shot in front of his kids is just right. appalling to me. Um, yeah. And the, the trauma that those children will live through and, and the trauma that they will continue to carry in their bodies and the way they will see police for the rest of their life is just, that's a tragedy. Um, so the cycle just goes round and round and it's, it's a hopeless and a kind of exhausting and unfinished cycle. 
that I think we need to just uh, be done with. We need to kind of just put a line in the sand and say, this has got to stop. I am, um, I'm struck by, so you also, uh, kind of elicit scripture as you talk. I mean, mm. one of the, the first line of the chorus is, you know, beat our swords into plowshares and melt down all the guns. I mean, yep. we have friends, we have friends in the world right now that are actually doing that work. Yes. Our, our friends, you know, Mike Martin and Shane Claiborne at Raw Tools are, I mean, they are actively, you know, taking guns and, making them into garden tools so yep. that we are, you know, using these weapons of war in ways that then um, re-beautify and nourish the earth versus, you know, just destroying those of us that are, that are here to care for it. Yep. Um, there's a, there's an, a sense of a kind of a call for pacifism in this, in this song. Um, do you have any kind of hope or any kind of um, vision that we'll make it there at some point? It's, it's such an interesting question because I am tinged by being Australian and we did have a massacre in 1998, uh, which is our worst massacre of all time. Um, it was by gun. And, and we bought the guns back, you know, we, we literally did that. Right. I know that, that a lot of Americans will scoff at that idea, uh, but we actually did that. That's not, a, that's a fact. <laughs> it's indisputable. But I think living, you know, I'm, I'm not naive because I've lived in the, in the Americas for the last nine years. And I think the second amendment and the relationship to guns here is entirely different. Uh, and I think there's this over identification, a very egoic, identification with guns and with our, our right to, to violence, our right to, to defend ourselves, um, that, that that kind of idea needs to break down. And I'm not sure how it does, you know, if the constitution is held as this, you know, almost held above the Bible as a document that really, um, you know, it needs to be interpreted a certain way. And I think, um, given the events of the last week with RBG, like that the fear of, of people, you know, coming onto the Supreme Court who see this document a certain way and want to interpret the future in this way of like, well, we need to understand it as it was originally understood and interpret that way. I'm like, nah, I don't agree with that. My, my agree is about progressive thought that we move forward and we, in, we interpret it in the context of today. Uh, and we think what well, if they had the information that we have now would they have made a dis different decision back in the, back in the day. Um, so I think there's so much to unpack. I, I mean, I, I really do hope and pray that we're moving forward. And I know that, you know, amidst all of the, the just terrible news we're constantly bombarded with on the backdrop, you know, the stats say we're in a more peaceful world than ever before, <laughs> which is already there are less wars happening today than there ever have been. Um, so I'm like, okay, well maybe we are moving in that direction. Um, but I also think in the last four or five years, we're seeing not just here in America, the swing back towards this nationalistic, you know, machoistic kind of leader, but we're seeing that swing everywhere. And even in Germany, you know, the Nazi party picked up an extraordinary amount of percentage points over the last few elections. And that's scary. You know, we're not a hundred years out from these, from these events. Like we need to have we need to learn our history so we don't keep repeating it over and over again. Like we need to hold that memory of these things um, and, and continue, I think, to 
I think part of, for me, part of activism is lamenting and saying the way it is so that we can have an imagination and move towards what we think it might be. Um, so I, I do hold out some hope that something will happen. I, I think that then the efforts might need to be smaller and we need to be less focused. I think on, on this, you know, the one guy at the top, I mean, Trump has held out, held us captive for four years with his, um, incredibly narcissistic antics. And yet right now, right down the ballot. Now we have an opportunity in the Senate to, to flip a lot of seats and to see, you know, a, a wave of change sweep through there the way we saw in the midterms. And so I think we need to focus a little bit on a smaller goal. Um, and I, I know that for me, you know, locally and, you know, I've been trying to be on the, keep my eye on the ball um, in San Diego around policing, around the conversations that are happening here um, to see if we can influence these things, you know, county by county, city by city. You know, right. Ben, um, this country does not have a historical memory, which is why we have to, which is why we are repeating our same sins and why mm -hmm. we need reminders. And so I think that this album that you've put out helps us with what is missing in this country, which is that historical memory. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I, I'm just grateful that, that, that we have, your music and so many other people's music and so many other people's spoken word to help us redeem ourselves because we just keep making the same fucking mistakes over and over and over mm -hmm. and our cultural body. I said it um, a week ago or so on a podcast, you know, we, we are basically all of us essentially trauma bonded and we have no historical memory. We have no way mm -hmm. to get out of, this trauma-infused attachment. And if we can yep. practice a different politic, we might be able to get back to practicing democracy. But until then, we, ha we have mm. to have these reminders. Gosh, that's that's so beautifully said. <laughs> I just, I love that. I'm going to put that on my ringtone or something so I can just remember that. Um, and, I, and I think what's interesting about that is for me as outsider, right? And, and I, I claim this country as, as, as my own. I've lived here. I love this place. I'm involved. I'm invested. This is not a, oh, this is your problem. I'm very much, this is our problem, you know, and um, at the same time, having this outside um, perspective, I think helps me to, to, to not live in that same trauma bonding and to, to kind of disrupt that a little bit and say, yeah. mm, no, yeah. not everybody thinks that way, you know? Yeah. That, it allows that, you to interrogate it a little differently. Yep. Yeah. So good. Well, Ben, we can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough for your art, for the way that you so beautifully tell story and, and share that with us. Um, why don't you tell our listeners how they can find the album, um, how they can find you, how they can connect with you online. Um, this album is called As If Words Could Heal the World, The Wounds, As If Words Could Heal the Wounds. Mm -hmm. And um, tell, pe tell people a little bit about where they can find it and um, how they can connect with you. Yep. Well, it's up and about everywhere as of Friday, September 4th. I'm so excited because this is my very first full-length album that I've ever put out in the world. Congrats. Um, so, thank you. It's a huge milestone for me and, and, um, 
it feels like a real coming of age of, of finding my own voice, which I'm excited about. So it's it's out everywhere: Spotify, iTunes, Bandcamp, SoundCloud. Uh, you can find it wherever you like to kind of get your music. Um, a word to those who, who don't know how the music industry kind of works: like if you can put that on a playlist, share it with your friends, tell people about it. Uh, that helps every little, you know, little piece. I'm just an independent artist, so I don't have a record label behind me. Uh, so if you like it and it speaks to you, please share it. That that helps me uh, no end. And then I'm at Ben Grace Music everywhere on the internet, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I have all my different <laughs> ideological hats on, on those various social media sites and enjoy all, all the different discourse um, across them. I, I think personally, I love Instagram because a picture tells a thousand words. And I follow just some beautiful, beautiful people uh, on there. But yeah, so you can catch up to me there. And then if you also um, want to be part of kind of my work in the world, I have a Patreon. It's the oldest way we've we actually funded the arts kind of through patronage. Uh, so patreon.com slash Ben Grace Music. Uh, if you want to come on board, the drinking buddies, as I call them affectionately, which is my, uh, which is my Patreon team. Well, I mean, you know, Robin and I, Robin and I oh, are known yeah. to be drinking buddies. So, you know, we are all, <laughs> we are all in support of you all becoming drinking buddies with Ben Grace and supporting his work and his music in the world. Um, it's important work. And Ben, we're really grateful for you. Um, thanks for spending some and time I just with us say, today. Oh my I just want to say you. one last thing. Maybe we could mm. figure out, I've got the technology. To do a live stream with Ben playing and Anna and I being mm. giving some commentary on the music as oh a way to gosh. support and get the word out on Ben's record. I, I it, the thought just came to me. Mm. Yeah, I'm game. I'm game. Let's do it. And as I always, let's, do it. let's get free. Your two beautiful minds. Just, uh, I mean, I'm honestly, I was nervous coming on the on the show today because I love y'all and. Um, and I'm so well, honored to be here. Ben, just so you know, no. I bring the beauty. <laughs> yes, and I and I bring um, said no one ever. Uh, so, well, uh, friends, um, we are grateful that you were with us this week. We thank you for supporting the Activist Theology Podcast. We thank you for the ways that you're listening, the ways that you're contributing monetarily, that you're sharing this podcast with your friends. Um, don't forget to follow us at Activist Theology in all the places. And reminder that activists and theology share a T. Mm. And Robin and I will be back next week um, with another amazing guest. And until then, don't forget, your job in this work is to get your hands dirty. Mm. Your job is to figure out what you can be doing in your local context, in your part of the world. The election is a mere month away and mm -hmm. your voice and your vote and your activism and your capacity to create social healing in this world is what we need the most right now. So whatever little way that is for you, um, that's what we ask for you this week. And until then, Robin, 